whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. Our guest today is a D.C. native who works for the federal government by day and hosts trivia by night. It's Elliot Johnson, everybody. Hello, friends. How, How are, are you? you? So good to see you. See? Well, you can see me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You see me. Yeah. They'll hear you, and that's how that works. That's good. Great. The internet. Thank science. you for coming down. Thank you for coming down early today, too, I have to say. Oh, no it's problem. Like, it's a nice, nice early recording. It's delight like outside. It's great. Um, and it'll be light when we leave, because they change the sun. And uh, you chose... Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Yes. So many incarnations, but I chose the uh, Broadway version, the new Broadway version. Yeah, I don't know why they call it that, because uh, I'm pretty sure it was, let me look this up, because I'm pretty sure it's the first Broadway production. I well, it was off-Broadway in like right. 86 with Ellen Green right? Uh, and like Lee Wilkoff, but it never quite made it to Broadway until 2003 when right. they did this version. Which is this version. Um, so uh, I'm, just, I'm sure it's just because it was wildly pro- popular back in the 80s and they didn't want to call it a revival, sort of like a Hedwig. Thing. Yeah. Like, um, Hedwig, not quite a revival, but re- wildly popular in the 90s. Right. Everyone's super familiar with it. New Broadway, right. if you will. Yeah. Yeah, the word new is such an interesting yeah. thing because it is a new cast, but it's yeah. the, the original Broadway cast. Anyway, yeah. whatever they want. I mean, who cares? They, they can do whatever <laughs> they want. I get bogged down by semantics. Um, so how did uh, Little Shop come into your life? Um Okay, are you ready? This I is am like, ready, like yes. A story. No, no, um, sure. When I was a, a young child growing up in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, I, I was a part of this like after-school performing arts troupe called Colors, spelled the British way for absolutely no reason <laughs> at all whatsoever. <laughs> like, no one in charge of this thing was British. I was right. like, uh, but, you know, It fancy. sounds looks nice, though. You know, I feel like I could do a hair toss now. Uh, um, and we did a bunch of medleys of a bunch of different songs from the 70s and 80s in musical theater from Chicago to Rent to Little Shop. And we sang Downtown Skid Row from, from Little Shop as part of our medley. And uh, I don't know, when a song opens with a large black woman singing... I was like, uh, what is this? Where did this come from? Uh, someone tell me where this music is from. And so I went to our director, and he was like, it's from a movie called Little Shop of Horrors. And so I went directly to my 
father and I said, I need to find this movie called Little Shop of Horrors. And he was like, for what? I was like, you don't understand, no, for but my I, life. Need I need to find it. I need to find it for it. my life. Um, and so uh, it, I, we scoured the universe for it because... I don't know if you know, it's not a wildly popular movie. Yeah, it's a little tricky to find, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was before Amazon mm-hmm. was like, you can get everything in 0.25 seconds. Right. So uh, I had to use uh, the power of Ask Jeeves Ooh. for all you people out there Deep cut. Like um, to, to find it. And I did, and I still have that copy. Uh, and it's in a very, very treasured place in my heart. But um, I watched that movie, and I fell in love with it. Uh, so, like, my favorite Disney movie mm-hmm. is Hercules. Okay. Uh, and Hercules features five large black women. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is a theme. So you're true to your theme. A uh, Little Shop takes it down to three. Right. Equally as wonderful, equally as large, equally as black women. Uh, and so uh, I really watched it the first time for them. Not so much for the story, <laughs> but just for whenever they would pop back on screen. Sure. Also, notably because the movie featured Tashina Arnold mm-hmm. uh, and Tisha Campbell, both of Martin fame, yeah. which was like another like thing I did. Another bonus. Know, as a little wink, wink. Sure. Um, so I felt personally connected uh, <laughs> to this movie, uh, like as a twelve-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until high school when I stopped being as pudgy and uh, short. Uh, okay. And I was taller and skinnier that I truly connected to Seymour as I walked back and forth from my grocery store job because ah, um, okay. I was poor and gotcha. <laughs> lonely yeah. and uh, scrawny. And <laughs> and I thought this was my calling and I was going to be Seymour on Broadway despite the fact that Joey Fatone was per- currently play- well, playing him at, at, the at time. that time. Right. Um, it was still my destiny. <laughs> uh, was, well, don't give up. Those you know, long not... mile and a half walks. <laughs> um, uh, and that that is where I fell in love with the new Broadway cast, uh, aside from the movie, because I couldn't find the movie soundtrack on iTunes. I could only find the Broadway cast. Hmm. So I settled. I said, I need it. Right. And this is what I need. So I went so for it. So you have it. it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's a fun show. It's yeah. one of my wife's favorite shows. It's of all so time. good because it has so many layers. It's so mm. layered. Um, it was only until I reached college that I realized that really this musical is about the Kardashian effect. Oh, that's interesting. It's it's kind of about like hmm. once you've achieved fame and fortune. Well, how do you get there? Right. Once you've got it, what do you do with it? And will you sacrifice everything? Including your fame and fortune to get what you actually want, right? And it's well, like, then your fame and fortune will eat you. I mean, or, and, quite and literally, literally like it does in this you. show, but yeah. it does like yeah, it it it, it takes it you, tears you apart, tears you apart, and takes you the do things some you love, yeah. very nasty things. Yeah. Well, no. before we get into that, sorry, themes. No, that's good. I like that idea. Before we get into, it's a good teaser because before we get into the themes, we should tell everybody in case they don't know what is the story of Little Shop of Horrors. Do you think you could summarize? That? Uh, sure. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors is a musical about. In orphaned uh, flower shop, well, flower shop worker in a rundown flower shop uh, named Seymour Krellborn, who uh, looks upon this alien man-eating plant right. that he uses to uh, both win over the love of his life and subsequently gain fame. Uh, little does he know when that plant walks into his life that. Uh, it is man-eating and requires blood to grow, and subsequently he spends the rest of the music, the first act for that matter, um, 
attempting to grow the plant and also his fame in order to continue to have his business be successful and the woman that he loves love him back. It's not until the plant gets out of control and really gains a mind of his own that he realizes that he no longer is the master and he spends the second act trying to remedy the situation that he's put himself in. And fails. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Show we're has all a dead. Very distinctive. Yes, that is true. In the world of this musical, we are all dead. We we the plants took over the uh well, they ate Cleveland, which yeah. was their ultimate goal, as this as the show says. Um Yeah, the movie they the movie has a slightly different ending, doesn't it? Doesn't it have but, a more like but, battle with the plant? So there are two endings to the movie. Oh, okay. Yes, there is the one where everyone gets eaten, mm-hmm. uh and uh Audrey too, the name of the plant, uh takes over the world and and she gets a song at the end. Oh, okay. Um, Big Green Mother from Outer Space. Oh, nice. You don't know what you're messing with. You got no idea. You don't know what you're at when you're looking here. You don't know what you're up against. No, no, way, no how. You don't know what you're messing with. But I'm gonna tell you not in the Did I mention that the the plant is a jive talking, like uh, not yeah. a lot? I mean, it's named Audrey too, but a large black man. Like, yeah, play, um, plays Audrey too. And yeah. naturally, I wanted to be the scrawny white boy, but <laughs> um, you know, goals, <laughs> goals dreams. Guess, right, sure. Um, you were young. <laughs> yes, um, but um, we could dig more into that statement. We're not going. Not to. We're just gonna, not. We're going to skip right um, over top of it. Yeah, but. Uh, the sec- the first ending, the one that is widely known as mm-hmm. Seymour actually ends up um, battling the plant, sort of like saving Audrey. Audrey dies in his arms, and the Ooh. plant sort of dies off as well. Oh, okay. So it's more of a happy-er? We not don't all as die. Not as devastating, right? We don't all die. We don't all die. Just, just a couple. Just a couple. Just, just Audrey, the dentist, and and uh, everyone Mushnick. you know dies. Well, right. Except in, for Seymour. Except for Seymour. <laughs> Maybe that's why kind of Twilight Zoney. Yeah. yeah, sure. That's nice. All right, whatever. Um, yeah, this is a yeah, this is a dark show. But that's interesting that you say those sort of themes to it because I don't think it's a show that gets analyzed. Oh no, a lot. <laughs> no, um, it's campy. Yeah, like, it's got kind of kitschy a kitschy humor. Fifties sound, fifties you know, doo-wop. It takes no. place in the poor part of town. I mean, it's not any more specific than that, Absolutely. I don't think. Like, no. it's, it's Skid Row, as they call it, but it could be anywhere. Um, they, just an urban poor area. Yeah. Uh, and it is often thought of, I, I don't think given probably enough respect as a piece of writing, as it probably should be, um, because it's so much fun. I mean, it is just a lot of fun musical, and people don't tend to take those as seriously. And plus, I mean, it... When it first came out, it featured excellent comedic actress, you know, Ellen Green. Right. Uh, and, and, I mean, it once, you know, was going to star Faith Prince, another yeah. comedic actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you put these big, expressive, you know, sort of larger-than-life characters on stage, 
a man-eating, jive-talking plant, three sassy black women, and a large, buxom blonde. And, like, what do you get? What are you going to do? Large yeah. analytics, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but it hides – I mean, that's what you say about it. I mean, it's funny that it, it hides its complexity kind of under that. So, Because it is very funny. Oh, absolutely. But it is very dark. Oh, yes. And it's not all of a sudden dark at the end. Like, it doesn't turn a corner where it suddenly gets dark, you right. know, and you're like, oh, gosh, this is a dark ending. It is darkly comedic throughout with – you know, alternating between scenes of hilarity and then scenes of, you know, Audrey, the the human, not Audrey the plant, Audrey one, um, getting physically abused by her boyfriend yeah. in a very real, especially on this recording, it seems to me a very real way. They're very clear to make the dentist whose name I can never remember. Orin. Orin, that's right. Um, to really make him vile. Yeah, which is not in the movie. It's played by Steve Martin, and it's still he's still a bad dude, but it's a little bit it's more lighter. It's, light, it's comedic. Yeah. Um, his song, you know, when I was younger, yeah. just a bad little kid. <laughs> My mama noticed funny things I did. It's just like like shooting puppies with a BB gun. It's just like uh, I poisoned guppies, and when I was done. It's just like, you know, he puts this like sort of like tongue in cheek yeah. aesthetic to aesthetic? Yeah, that's right. That? No, okay. that's true. Yeah, uh, to to his singing style because Steve Martin is no vocal artist. Right. He can carry uh, it too. He can carry it too. That's about um, it. Yeah. However, on the stage, you have these uh, powerhouse tenors right. uh, who. Uh, can put a little more character behind this guy who is a sadomasochist and takes it to the extreme where he's willing to beat the woman in his life. I shut up, open wide, here I come. I am your dentist. I enjoy the career that I picked. that woman in his life is willing to receive said beating because she knows love to be nothing different. Right. Uh, you don't quite get that uh, when... In, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, doctor. Well, because they're not going to have... In in the movie, it's a lot more implied right. because you're not going to have Steve Martin beat up Ellen Green. Right. You're just not going to do that right. in the movie. So, but in in the original recording, but really in this one, it seems like this production was really interested in, in m- making... The darkness real, making those moments of violence and those moments of abuse real so as to not shy away from what's happening here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to not to go like no, at the end of the day, this is a story about a 
a, a man-eating plant who eats people, some right. of whom are good and some of whom are bad. Right. The other scene I think of in this that, that it doesn't shy away from is the scene where he feeds Mushnik to the plant. Right. Which is not funny and no. not – I mean, it's horrifying. The way on, the, on this record – I mean, I didn't see this production, but on this recording, it's sad. It's a sad, scary thing to listen to. It makes me feel bad. Well, I think it should be known that uh, Mr. Mushnik and is, one, the owner of the flower right. shop, uh, two, sees – uh, Seymour as his cash cow. Yes, and uh, use adopts him only for the purpose of having the money in his family. Right, um, and that's all in Act One. In Act Two, he realizes that at this point, um, in order to win the love of his life, Audrey won. He's uh, killed and fed. Uh, well, he's killed. Yeah. The, well, he the doesn't dentist. kill her. I mean, it's a techni- technically technically okay. He doesn't, right. Spoiler alert. Well, this is... <laughs> um, Oren yeah. suffocates to death uh, because as a sin of omission, uh, because... Uh, and what do they call that? Uh, gross and gross negligence? Like, yes, how, you gross, say? Yeah, gross, gross negligence. negligence. Um, Oren, in addition... I guess we should back up, like, four, four steps. Yeah, um, well, Oren, in addition to being... I mean, Oren's a sadist. He's the dentist. He became right. a dentist because he's a sadist. It's a great song. Um, is also addicted to laughing gas, or yes. at least loves laughing gas, yes. and likes to take laughing gas as part. Like he takes the gas and doesn't give it to his patients, so that they will feel the pain and he can laugh through it. And he gets stuck in his own contraption yes. and dies, asphyxiates himself. And uh, before this, uh, Seymour had fed the plant using his own blood right. to the extent that the plant could now speak. Mm-hmm. And they have this wonderful duet yeah. called oh, Feed Me where yeah. uh, the, the Audrey 2 convinces Seymour to kill Orin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's he says, a lot of folks, uh, Audrey 2 says, a lot of folks deserve to die. And Seymour goes, hold on, wait a second. I don't yeah. know anyone who deserves to die. Right. And Audrey 2 simply goes, sure you do. Right, and then Orin shows and up. And then Orin shows up. <laughs> Uh, and, and then wails on Audrey. I and, mean, really, yeah. Yeah, and Audrey is is Seymour's love. So clearly, he's going to take that opportunity, right? A shot, if you will, <laughs> to go and uh, and and get rid of him in an, an easy way because he can feed into the plate. No one would ever know. Right. Uh, he Seymour brought his gun to the dental office and didn't even have to use it. Nope. Um, Mr. Mushnik found orange chopped up parts that were being fed one by one to the plant. And was going to rat Seymour out despite the fact that Seymour had brought his business so well, much. See, this is where I get – this is where it gets weird from – this is where it gets good for me actually. Is that it isn't quite that – you're right. Mr. Mushnik is not a good guy. No. He is abusive to Seymour verbally and mentally. Right. And, and you're right. Only adopts him to guarantee that the success that Seymour has brought to the plant store will continue indefinitely. But what he actually says to him is like – at least on the recording, is like, you know, I found this jacket. It has blood on it. Now you're with Audrey. Like, clearly this means some, something happened to the dentist, and I think you did it. And he says, and Seymour says, I'm innocent. And he's like, then come to the cops with me and tell your story, and, like, let's clear, the, let's just clear the air. If you're innocent, it'll work out, and you'll be fine. Which is, I mean, he doesn't, what I mean is, like, if he was really a villain, he would then, like, hold this over him. He'd be like, now you sign over all of the rights, of, or whatever the thing. You know what I mean? He kind of, he gives a paternal response. And I think in that moment, we're supposed to be like, oh, he, he, he does care about Seymour, also cares about his own stuff. But it's not in that same villainous way that Oren is. There's a little more gray to it, which is why I say when he forces him into the plant, I think it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be like... Like, this guy stinks, but this guy, like, isn't Orin. Like, th- this kill is a little bit more gray. 
You know what I mean? The kills get worse as it goes on. That's the thing is they get more personal as it goes on. This is a good transition between Oren and Audrey. Well, well, yes, but also I'm going to be very, very, very transparent with you. Sure. Uh, During the killing of Mr. Moshnik, Audrey 2 is giving some very sultry baritone lines. (laughs) He's got your number now. I saw it last week and didn't think twice. He knows just what you've done. And the little red dot seemed innocent enough. You got no place to hide. But now I catch you kissing the dentist girlfriend. You got nowhere to run. And it begins to look like a motive. He knows your life of crime. Once he's out of the way, you move in, right? I think it's supper time. So I only listen to, like, I'm always convinced that Mr. Large much like, much like uh, Seymour, I'm often, I'm already convinced that <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, Mr. Moshnik knows exactly what I've done and I've got to get rid of him because right. he, he knows, he knows. I, I wasn't listening to a single, I have never in my life, listen to a single word that Mr. Mushnick says because Audrey is like, he's on your trail. He's going to turn you in. He's going right. to put you in jail. He's yeah. like, but you know who it's likes to eat? Time, right? <laughs> um, it's <clears throat> It's funny that you say that this version, the stage version, is, uh, well, the Broadway version. The Broadway version, yeah. Is a lot more dark than the movie Mind mm-hmm. you, the musicalized movie version. There was a well, non-musicalized. There is. This is all version, based on a Roger Corman film, which, which I found. Have you seen it? I have. It's great. I I've not, but oh. I had to make sure I was getting the musical version when I bought. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> when I bought my DVDs. That so, is very important. Um, yes. You can call little. I mean, it's called Little Shop of Horrors. It is kind of infamous for being a film that was made in one day, um, which is what Roger Corman's whole deal was. Corman made movies very quickly, very cheaply, and made good money doing them. They're generally not great. A number of them ended up on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. Um, Teenage Cavemen being my favorite of those. But uh, he, he th- this one I think is, is campy and fun and exciting and stars a young, very young Jack Nicholson yeah. as the dentist patient, which is my favorite scene in either version of the movie. I love that <laughs> scene so much. It is so... Uh, it's seen totally omitted after that movie. Right, yeah. It's just, yeah. oh man. Um, it's a great... <laughs> Because it's a fun and it's played by Bill Murray in the the dentist. No, no, in the in the musical movie. Yes, it's played Bill, by Bill Murray. Bill Murray is plays yes. this character. I can't remember the name who ruins right before Seymour comes to kill Orin. <laughs> he has this patient who is a masochist who's excited about how hurt Orin's going to make him, yes. and it ruins everything for Orin, which then motivates him to be more nuts when Seymour shows up. Yes. It gives it it just gives it a little bit of a... T- it, you don't need it, but it's a nice little thing to know where Orin's coming from in that moment. Obviously, totally unnecessary to... Look, look, we should the actual plot, Seymour. but like, we right. should get M- Bill Murray in. Yeah. We should just get just him get in. Just get Bill Murray in just to play call, this part. Steve, call Bill. Yeah, yeah. Call, tell tell, tell him, him to come over. Tell him to come into the thing. Um, yeah. So the version before that came before Broadway was down in Florida mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Billy Porter... And Hunter Foster, yeah. and Alice Ripley, uh, and some local Florida girls, Floridians, yeah, yeah, who didn't quite. No one, no one from that production made it. Made it on. No one except for Hunter. Like for Hunter, Foster, Hunter yeah. Foster is the only. Pro- they switched directors because it was too dark. Mm. Now that version I have seen. It's on YouTube. Oh, is it really? Oh, it. wow. Oh, That's I how dedicated I am to, right, uh, to it, this man. musical. This is great. I saw it like a year ago, and I was like, nice. this is it. This is the one that everyone talks about. Billy Porter's always like, Alice and I got fired. We got fired. Uh, Alice's take on Audrey, much darker than Carrie Butler's. Mm-hmm. Now, I love Carrie Butler. We have to because she was in Hairspray. But yeah. 
I feel like sometimes well, she is great. I mean, you know, we give her more than she she's doing. Oh, okay. Um, honestly, I saw her in Catch Me If You Can, and I said they should have just given this to Shoshana Bean when she recorded the 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 Fly Fly Away song, like mm-hmm. the second act. Like she was the demo for that, and like honestly, no. I'm sorry. Oh, Carrie, wow. Carrie Butler, I mean, I love her in some stuff, but honestly, I think she's been in four too many shows, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Including this one. Okay. I. You, this is not your favorite, I, Audrey. He rakes and trims the grass. He loves to mow and weed. I cook like Betty Crocker, and I look like Donna Reed. There's plastic on to keep it neat and clean in the pine soul scented air somewhere that's green that is a I will say in I mean, I, I'm not as familiar with the show as you are, and I'm not as familiar with the the differences. I would love to see Alice Ripley do this part because that's really interesting. But it's so hard to step into. I mean, this is an iconic performance from Absolutely. Audrey. Her her performance as Audrey is 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 what people know about this musical. Yes. That and if you've ever been watching anything and like a plant starts, something opens its mouth and you hear somebody go, "Feed me!" Like that's what we know about this show. And but uh, Ellen Green singing somewhere that's green is pretty much what you know survives about this show. He rakes and trims the grass. He loves to mow and weed. I cook like. And so I do feel sympathy for anyone stepping into this part. But what excites me about what you say about Alice Ripley is I would really like to see somebody go totally in a different direction with it, into that like kind of more dark, sinister, or sincere kind of performance. So you're right. Ellen had her lisp and mm-hmm. her and her very signature voice. Yeah. And Alice's somewhere that screen, mm-hmm. which honestly may or may not be one of my favorite songs in the entire show mm-hmm. because it is the most honest, sincere, grounded moment of the show. Yeah. And it's also like the most expressive I want song. Oh yeah. I don't know. I just I I also want everything she wants. Um but Alice's is a little off. Hmm. It's like because Audrey is a little off. Audrey is, she has this warped sense of what love is, reality is, mm-hmm. like based on her upbringing, her childhood. Um, she she has a, a warped sense of what sh- she wants in a guy, namely because she was like, I mean, it starts off, she's like, just me and a house yeah. and a little guy like Seymour, right. who's like the direct opposite of Oren, this tall, sometimes built brash, right. abrasive, like she's got this warped sense of everything that she actually wants except for the future. She knows she wants to get out of Skid Row. She knows she wants kids. She wants a loving husband. She wants the white picket fence. Right. Um, and a big, enormous 12-inch screen television. Yes. Yeah. Um, the kids watch How Do You Do right. while, while the, the sun sets, sets in the West. West. It's great um, and she, uh, Alice's take on it was kind of like... Um, I don't know how to say this other than she, 
it's kind of like she cocked her head to the side mm-hmm. and gave us as close to twisted fantasy as hmm. one can give instead of just like bright eyed doughy sure. realness. Hmm. Um, which I loved. I'm gonna check this out. It's it's. I hope it's still on the tube of you. Yeah. You well, know? I'm sure. Yeah, I'll I'll find it somewhere. Yeah, I have, it's. I, I, I mean, I know she it. sings it in her like. There's a video of her singing it cabaret. Mm-hmm. Right. So good. Um, I imagine. But th- that was too dark for the Broadway stage, so they brightened it up a bit. Yeah. Uh, and when they brought it to Broadway, well, and the reviews were pretty. Meh. Yeah, that's the thing. I think they maybe made a mistake. Yes. There because I think that they. It sounds like they wound up with a production that was neither here nor there. It was neither as campy and bright as the original, right. which is its own kind of funny, nor as dark as the production it was based on. It lands in the middle, and when things land in the middle, they tend to make you shrug. What you know, you the recording though to me it does not sound like that. This sounds like the recording of a show that has all of its stuff together and has this really great kind of like I say darker vibe than the than the original. Right. Um, so that's good. I mean, we have a recording that makes it They recorded it I really mean, well. As, as I always do before we record it, I open up the Tony Awards page for that year if it's if it's a uh, uh, a Broadway show that we're doing. And as you've said, as I opened it up, it won nothing. It, won. it was nominated for one Tony. For Hunter. For Hunter Foster. Seymour. He lost to the host of the Tonys that year, actually, um, to Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman for yeah. Boy From Oz. Yeah. So is so Little Shop is your favorite musical? Would no. You say? Okay. So what's your favorite musical? What do you? What I want to get at is, what are you looking for? What shows like turn like turn you turn you on in that kind of in that kind of way? Things that draw. I have, I feel like I have two sides to my theater brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got like the campy, like bright, shiny, like hairspray, kinky boots, sure. legally blonde, all Jerry Mitchell. <laughs> Right. All Jerry Mitchell like things. And then I've got like this dark, like I need to watch this fifty times if unpack all the layers, sort of um into the woods passion uh company. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Sondheim. I was gonna say, um, yeah. even but, but like, I get what you mean. It and so the thing that draws me to musical theater in general is like really like a story. Like I need like a really solid story like a chorus line love it because it's just it's about wanting to be good enough both for yourself and for someone else someone you don't even know mm-hmm. um and like what does that mean you know trying your hardest to be the best for someone who you don't know but already knows you and it's like big brother watching i don't know sure so it's like an an incredible and like i don't know and the music's also wonderful but like things like that like i I gravitate towards mm-hmm. in the heights. It's, it's like, um, which I, this may be very controversial, as opposed to everything else you've said. Well, fair. <laughs> My Twitter handle is um, uh, I love in the heights mm-hmm. sometimes more than Hamilton. Oh, okay. Because it's a, I feel like it's more organically Lynn. It's like very much about oh sure him I see what you mean mm-hmm. and like his experience and so the the stories sort of flow out of this organic wanting you can tell that it's something he also wants mm-hmm. when Nino or Benny or Vanessa speak it's something that he also has wanted or seen someone want it's not something he's had to read actualize and put on to the page it's something sure. he's experienced um, and so uh, 
I know I listened to In the Heights a lot when I was in college because, you know, this whole idea of like, how am I going to, am I doing something that will ultimately make people proud of me? Mm -hmm. Am I living a life that I'm also going to be happy with? These, I mean, these, I love the big I want musicals. Sure. As much as I love the big flashy musicals. But the things that I hate are the ones that, like you said, fall in the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. It don't quite land. And don't make a decision. Right. I mean, yeah, try to be all things to all yeah. people. Yeah. Wonderland, we're looking at you. You are big and flesh. You had a stupid Backstreet Boys <laughs> number called One Night right in the middle of the first act. And I want to warn you now, that was the wrong decision. <laughs> well, it sounds like what you're talking about, though, more than story, is themes. It sounds like you, you'd like a musical with a strong theme with it, or even with a strong idea that grabs onto you a little bit. And maybe you're not even aware of it when it first does. I mean, when we started talking about Little Shop, you said how you say it's a musical about the Kardashians. I mean, in the sense of that, it's a fun story and it's clever and whatever else, but it's about something real, which is that, you know, this this idea that fame can devour you, literally, in some cases. And I think that what's really interesting about Little Shop, story-wise, and maybe people don't notice the first time they see it is all the stuff the plant says is going to happen does come true. You know, you get the girl, but, but like a lot of inexplicable luck happens for Seymour that maybe is, or maybe isn't the plants doing, but it feels like it is like, for example, just as the plants talking about, there are people who need to be killed Oren walks in. Now that is contrived in bad writing, right? But because the plant has been saying good fortune is going to come your way, that feels Good. That feels right. And a few of those things happened. A couple, oh, and the way Orin dies, for example, right. that's good fortune. Seymour's not going to be able to kill him, so he just dies. And you go, oh, this is, it's good luck. It's good luck breaking. Now, it's good luck, what, what we ultimately discover, it's good luck for the plant. It's not good luck for, for Seymour. <laughs> All the things break the plant's way. Like, because Mushnik discovering the dentist's outfit isn't good luck for Seymour. It oh, is very good luck right. for the plant, though. And so, these ideas that that just exist kind of below the surface are strong ideas and and kind of resonate through the material a little bit. So that when you say you like, I mean, because Chorus Line doesn't really have a story per se. Right. It, it has characters and a strong thematic link. And that's what I feel like right. you're – and also you like good writing. I mean, that seems to be the other like, – obviously you need also both. That. You need to have both kind of things rolling into you at the same time. Um, also but it's, like a level of, in my opinion, representation – just for me. Just for you. Everyone out there, I'm black. I It's something I realized about myself that I'm ready to <laughs> tell people about. <sighs> Weight lifted. I was trying to give hints about the three large black women. Uh, no, and, and like, I don't know. While it, it doesn't have to necessarily be, like, a black character, but if there's someone, I mean, we've all wanted love. We've all wanted, mm-hmm. like, those musicals sort of click for me. You know, ha- have clicked for me later in my life than when Teeny Bopper, little John Swan, was bopping around Beltsville <laughs> listening to, <laughs> to, nice. to uh, I like that. Little Shop. All so. right. Well, that's it. so this is a show that, I mean, does have African-American characters in it, but they are kind of stereotyped. And I wonder, yeah. like... Well, Seymour was the character that I gravitated towards. Yeah, I was going to say. The scrawny... I, okay, 
Hey everyone, uh, I'm a middle child. Uh, <laughs> could you guess? Uh, and so I, my sister is four and a half years older than I am. My brother's three and a half years younger than I am. And oh, so you're firmly in the middle, That's right a, there. Yeah, and right. all the kids in my neighborhood were either my sister's age or my brother's age. So I was the loner that no one wanted to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I was Seymour Crowborn. Okay, it yeah. was me. That was you. <laughs> I was, so you could see yourself in this show. I mean, absolutely. that's the thing, because there are two kinds of representation. There is the literal sort of broader sense, but there is the, like, that's me. Like, yeah. that character's me, whether it's my gender identity or not, or my racial, you know, background or not. I identify with what that character is going through. Yeah, right. so you had that in this show. Right. Yeah. There's also no reason any of these characters have to be any particular race sure. or not. Um, it, it, it is, though it is always cast as a bunch of white people and three three. African American doo-woppers, right. and then the large black man playing the plant, right. who is in the show. I mean, you see, he he gets to be on stage for usually for Skid Row, um, and then is shuffled off to go be the plant later. Yeah, um, he's the home. I think it's the homeless guy in Skid Row. Yeah, you hear his voice. You know yeah. his voice very very clearly. Yeah, little cameo for that. Yeah, it's impo- It's interesting. I like uh, reason I we went off on that huge tangent, and I'm going to take some of it out and put it in intermission, but I'll, <laughs> but I'll keep a lot of it because. This sort of passionate reaction is, I think, whether we what we want as creative people, whether we submit it or not. Because I think what Sondheim always uh, said about his first show, which as a composer, which was funny thing happened on the way to the forum, is he was never mentioned in any of the reviews. The score was never mentioned. It was always always about the book and Zero Mostel. And he said later, like he would much rather be panned. Then ignored because at least if you're panned, you know you had an impact, good sure. or bad. You've had an impact or an effect on somebody. Yeah. Whereas if you're just sort of ignored, you could have been there or you could have not, and nobody seems to have cared. And so I think that all all of the things you're saying come from this place of caring. I mean, this deep place of caring <laughs> about what you see. And you have desires and wants, obviously expectations, but you also just want, you know, you want to see something seems like you want to see somebody make a decision for crying out loud you yes. know like do something much like my real life <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you find yourself yelling that at people every um, now and then. just make a decision just like hello management mm-hmm. make a decision so i can do my job thank you right no. yeah oh man it's i mean yeah that's so that feels so good to me to hear that from because it's so much you do there's so little time of what we do spent in front of an audience, so much of it is oh, creative people in a room by themselves going, I think the audience is going to act this way. And you just then you find out in a really real way whether they're going to jump or not. Previews. Yeah, that's right. And or of the run. If you, <laughs> you know, we're like, previews went great. Oh, never mind. And the reverse is also very disappointing, though. We've had great, you know, to have like and then nothing. So it's nice to to have. Like you, both you and Heather, who recommended you, got you in touch with me, have this care deeply about what you see on the stage. And that feels great. And see things. I mean, not only that, it's one thing to care and be like, I care and care. But like to also then put your money where your mouth is and go see yeah. your shows. Uh, so there was a span in my life mm-hmm. from 2012 to 2016. Well, that's a recent span. A very dark time in my life. Oh, okay. Uh, where I, had, I, I didn't see any shows on stage um, mostly because I was poor. Right. Um, and I wasn't really taking advantage. I, I grew up here. Mm-hmm. So, like, the theater scene has always been wonderful here. But I'm like, oh, Wicked's in town? It'll be back in three years. Yeah. Um, That's a tricky thing to fall into. But the reason, the thing that I, 
when Man of La Mancha came, mm-hmm. and I didn't go see it, and it had like Amber Mon in it, who yeah. I really wanted to see as Dulcinea, because I or Aldonza, whoever you are, yeah, uh, I mean whichever one you Same prefer, part, right. um, I was like, I know her voice, and I know that part. Something about this doesn't jive, and I want to see it. Yeah, and like <laughs> I, re- I understand that that also meant I was going to have to sit through like an hour and forty five minutes of Anthony Warlow before I even got to like right. a taste of Amber. Uh, but I was willing to like try it, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I also regretted it. Yeah. Um, because then it, they're supposed to like go out to Seattle and do it with like different right. people with Norm Lewis, and I. Yeah. I'm like, I will I fly to Seattle to see yeah. Norm Lewis? Because I will fly uh, to Seattle to Norm see Lewis. Norm Lewis. Oh, my gosh. If yeah. you ever go to Florida, to Orlando, Norm Lewis is on these massive billboards in the in the airport. It's like, oh, really? Norm Lewis, native of Orlando. I'm like, oh, oh wow. Swoon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's when I decided I was like, I really need to set my theater game up. Um, mm-hmm. And so... To all you people under 30 or 35 in some cases, there are cheap tickets out there oh, that yes. you can take advantage of at many, many different yes, theaters here are. in the Washington, D.C. area. And you need to hop on it and do it on the nights when they're serving booze. That's my That's your thing? thing to all right. They're, they always have a special night, and it's always there for you. Oh, wow. So what do you see? Like, where do you like to go? Uh, so I – well, I, I, I'm trying to hit every single theater – so I've been to the Kennedy Center. I've been to the National Theater. Um, I saw Titanic at Signature. That was the first time I was there. Uh, mind you, I was not really familiar with Titanic as a show. Right. Outside of the fact that I was like, oh, it won five Tonys. Yeah. It's by Maury Yetzen, who like did nine, and I don't quite care for mm. nine. So I was like, mm, we'll see. Uh, but I just also knew, thanks to Heather, hey, Heather, uh, that the opening sequence was just going to blow my mind. And yeah. They had some of the best. I didn't realize that we had such great singers here in DC. Like, oh yes, we uh, do. Just like I found had myself a number of them on this my chest yeah. at the right before they're about to take their voyage, and I was like, "My God, thank you." Um, I'm going to go see Ragtime. At I First was going to ask yeah, you're going to see Ragtime in April uh, on the under 35 night. Oh, okay, so, yeah. If you're there, April 21. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. Okay, um, and. Uh, so, and I think the only, I've been to studio, I saw Rocky, well, I saw Rocky Horror at studio. Um, I think the only place I haven't been that I need, no, maybe, no, I've been to Woolly Mammoth. You've been to Arena? That's been, the only been one to I went to yeah. Arena as a, as a, when they did Women's of Brewster plays at Arena in like 2006. Oh, okay. No, my sister was still, she's, was not in college. So maybe like 2004. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I've ever been to Arena. I've been to Woolly Mammoth. Mm-hmm. So I think, actually, when I go to Ford's, I'll have been to all You'll of them. You'll have been to all of them? Okay. All the equity houses. All the equity houses. And right. then we have the I've myriad of like non-equity houses. Yeah. Keegan or... Right. Flying V or... Uh, I'm trying to think of something. I mean, well, obviously, Monumental that we talked about a minute ago. Yeah, there's, there's I mean, tons and tons of non-equity houses in yeah. this theater. Yeah, in, this, in the city. And if any of you are interested in doing Pippin anytime soon, I would love to play the yeah. leading player. Oh, okay. So you want to do you want to yeah. do it today? I was gonna say Keegan might Keegan would be the most likely place to do Pippin. I think of, they're doing of, parade. They, they are doing parade. They did Next Normal last year. So I mean, yeah. yes, they're. I they're love right Next Normal mm-hmm. Revolution. I cried in the, during the entire second act. Oh wow! I, so, <laughs> it's a long I, act too. It That's is. Gonna, it is a very long act. Yeah. And I'm surprised I can still cry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maren Macy and Jason Daniel married in real life. Oh, you saw the tour? Such... Oh, wow. No, no, no. no. Okay. I saw, we saw it in New York? the new Broadway cast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, J. Robert Spencer left. Yeah. BDJ came. And then Alice, BDJ, and I'm oh, sorry, this Brian Darcy James. Right. Um, and Jen Damiano all left. And then they brought in Marin, Jason, and Megan Faye. And I was like, Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Oh, yeah, I, I, this got my. I was in New York for ten months for school. Oh, okay. And I was like, I'm gonna play this lottery. Like, if I get it, whatever. If I don't, like, whatever. I didn't end up getting the lottery to next normal, and I was gonna walk away. And this woman goes, "We've got twenty more tickets." I was the last pair of tickets that they gave out that day. Oh wow! And I won every single lottery that I played every month that I went to go play the lottery. Oh, wow. So that's how I got to see so many shows. Nice. I so I consider the theater gods to smile upon me so I can have such an opinionated opinion. That's great. Podcast back in 2011. Right. <laughs> it's a great time for me. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it um, to be in New York for that long, yeah. too. That's really, really nice. Yeah. yeah. But uh, such a heartbreak. There like, were a is... number of people who speculated she would not win a Tony Award because she, quote, not. The quote I always I heard was, she can't sing, so she won't win. And I kept thinking, and to everyone, I say, did you watch Sideshow? I was gonna say, like, I think she can sing. It's always my reaction <laughs> to that. Like, I think she, I think she can sing. I'm pretty sure that's kind of her thing. But um, I don't obviously, she did win. So like, she... check her playbill. Yeah, I heard it from more than one person. I remember that time. I was like, she's not gonna win. She can't sing. I was like, she, she can sing. Also, did you see the Tony Awards? In her that was the 09 Tony Awards, and then the 2010 yeah. Tony Awards came around, and Catherine Zeta-Jones won over Montego Glover, and I threw my shoe. I threw it. <laughs> I was so angry. I was like, were we all watching? <laughs> no. No, we won't. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. I love the passion, Elliot. It's fantastic. This is so good. Because I don't, it, it's something that I don't have <laughs> anymore. I did. But I was just talking about this with my students the other day in class. I, there's a point when you do this for a long time and you study it and you 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 analyze it that the passion becomes it becomes more muted. It's not that I don't have the passion, it becomes more muted. Sure. Because I understand so much of how the machine works that it's hard to get passionate about the Tony Awards because I know it's just a bunch of people voting and like sure. Catherine Zeta-Jones is more famous. This will be better for Broadway because it'll bring people to the theater if she's in shows. So let's like and it was probably a good performance. So let's give her the award. You know, that's the thought process that goes into it. And so I don't get worked up about awards anymore. I used to. I used to get screaming mad. I, I used to, you know, and still, there are some that for my youth you can still make me, like if I watch them on, like the clips on YouTube of people. I did today on someone's Facebook page posted something about how much they love Jerry Herman, and I, I posted the clip of him winning the Tony for best score oh, over, over Sondheim time for, for uh, Sunday in the Park. And I was like, they're like, how are you celebrating Jerry Herman's birthday? I'm like, I'm hate watching this all day. That's yeah. how I'm doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, so that kind of, you can get my ire up on that, on that sort of thing. But it is, it's, you, you, you've energized me here today. This is so great. I feel so good today. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad recorded I, I'm this glad. episode. This has been wonderful. Um, to, to have that kind of energy and and, and uh, maybe I'm just getting old. I don't quite know. I don't, no, 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 no. Yeah, it, no, it's, yeah. No, no. It's just, it's just me. It's fun. <laughs> it's it's. 
I probably have too many opinions to be honest. Um, you, okay, you can't. First of all, you can't. I don't like. I don't <laughs> never never like. That's something I've heard people say to people like you have too many opinions. No, no, no. You can't have too many opinions. You maybe need to parcel them out. But I did invite you down here and put a microphone in your face and say, "What do you think?" So Hello. don't feel like you said too many opinions. Is literally what we're doing here. Uh, so you can't have too many opinions about this sort of thing. I they, think it's, it, we, we put our, you know, people put the work out there for you to have an opinion about. So, sure. you know, have an opinion. Yeah. Like they should have to. stop reviving Lakage. I don't know. I have to get to know Lakage because I don't know Lakage very well. Well, but it's like you, you say, don't. they keep reviving it. So I should probably become familiar with it on it's some okay. level. I've heard a few of the songs. I really, I like the hits, but I, I don't know the show really, really they well. They think it sings because there are drag queens involved. That's your That's word. That's all on I gosh. have to say. <laughs> I like the birdcage. I love the birdcage. Yeah, and I like the Lacage movie. I've seen the original, the French one. I really like that too. I love the birdcage. The birdcage. Bird There's a reason why movie. probably Nathan Lane probably never did it on stage. Well, probably. Yeah. 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 God, it's a great movie. That's the movie I watched. The, this is going to get sad for a second. That's the movie I watched the night Ron Williams died. The night that I, that was the first movie I put in was Birdcage. Wow. I love that movie. And I love him. And it's very funny. And we're going to turn this back up again. So in wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been here for like six We've been years. here for, for yeah, a little over an hour. And have you found your tastes evolving over the years since this sort of this show came into your life uh, as a younger person? Or have you found them getting more refined? Because I find that as we get older, either our tastes kind of shift and the things we liked as a young person don't necessarily work for us anymore or our taste kind of refined, like it refined down to their essence, and we still like the things we liked as a kid, just maybe for different reasons. So would you be able to, which category would you put yeah, yourself Yeah, I definitely in? would say I'm a refined, mm-hmm. uh, more like, like a red wine, uh, <laughs> perhaps like a refined white sugar. Like a good cask, you know, just a good cask of bourbon. To perhaps um, a nice, <laughs> I don't know, refined artisanal right. olive oil. Uh, <laughs> Is that a thing? Artisanal olive oil? Oh, yeah. Uh, I worked for an artisanal olive oil store. Also played Little Shop every day. Oh. Uh, (laughs) All the way to that job. Uh, (laughs) Man, this show lives for you. This is really great. No. I mean, it's so funny. So you asked me what show I wanted to do. Yes. And the first thing I went to was Sondheim, and I said, the girls aren't going to be ready. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, And then I realized, no, everyone's going to pick Sondheim. That's fine. I was going to do either Sunday in the Park or Company. And mm-hmm. then I said, you know what? I'm going to do a show that the girls need to know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that felt influential to my life. Yeah. Little Shop. I haven't listened to Little Shop in a very long time. Uh, I actually had to listen to it like on Monday afternoon while I was making Just dinner to like, figure out like mm-hmm. why I said this. Um and then I immediately realized why. By the time I got to somewhere that screen, I was like, oh, of course, of this course. is why. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say that um, I do – when I was in high school, I had, like, CDs. Mm-hmm. CDs. Yes. Uh, and I would just feed them into my CD player as I drove to school or whatever, just a bunch of different musicals. And I can still go back to that CD where I can be like, I still like that one, I still like that one, I still like that one. But I like it for a different reason. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say that I'm, I'm like, a more refined theater goer now. Uh, I would say that my, my interest – and music has also become more refined. Uh, I don't always need the belted F, you know. 
I can, like, when I went to see Titanic, I was like, I will take this choral music. Like, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm going to go see Nine. I'm still not going to see Nine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Nine no. either, right? Like, there's a couple, uh, there's a few songs in it that I think are great. And I, you know. A Call to the Vatican. Thanks, Jane Krakowski. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, the musicals drew me for a reason, and I think you were right in saying that it was really the thematics mm-hmm. that younger me knew, older me needed, um, because younger me was just such a prophetic young individual. Well, I think that's better. I, I always think that that's like, there's so many people I know who, I mean, we're all embarrassed on a certain level of who we were 20 years ago in in the specifics, either in the specifics or in the broad. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're an exception. I was five. Okay, you're five. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. Move that forward. We're all embarrassed Spice about who World. we were. Younger. <laughs> Nothing to be embarrassed about I about watching Spice movie. World. Um, the uh, I teach that in my bad movies class. Yes. The, um, I'm coming. <laughs> the, but it's this thing of, I know a lot of people who try to deny, we, we all get embarrassed by who we were when we were younger. I'll just use that term. Sure. And a lot of people, you can either respond to that in two ways. You can either respond to it by ne- like negating it entirely and being like, no, no, like anytime you talk about it. I think that's what you do when you're a teenager. I've noticed that with some of my younger cousins when they're, you sort of talk about things they did when they were babies because we were all adults and we remember it and they get really mad or embarrassed and kick around because they they don't know how to reconcile that quite sure. yet. They're trying to be, they're trying to be adults and, and we're treating them like babies and they find that offensive. Sure. And I think that if we, some people I know, they'll keep that instinct, like up through their 20s and 30s and try to deny who they were when they were much younger. And, and they're like, no, no, now I know what I'm talking about. Then I was an idiot. But now I, it's that when I was a child, I spoke as children do. And now I'm an adult. Sure. And I think the more healthy way to do it is to be like, no, there's, I'm still me. So right. there's something about this thing I loved that is valid still. What is that? Sure. And you go, oh, it was, you know, as you say, the themes have kind of stuck with you in, in a very real, even though maybe you don't listen to it every day on the way to work. Yeah. Yeah. You you have, you know, it, it's still relevant and still plays something as a part of your life today. I think that's great. Thanks. It's really great. This is so great to have you come down. I, I'm so I glad. You, sure. You can come back. I've got a litany you got <laughs> of both <laughs> albums and ideas. <laughs> You should have your own show, I feel like. You should get yourself a microphone and get this thing going. I would never You've steal your show. stuff. That, well, no. Well, you, you can have – there can be more. The great thing about podcasts the is, is there's so no large. time slots. Yes, there's space. <laughs> there is room for all on this great this great wide plane on which we exist. But you're fun, man. You should talk about this stuff more. This is a lot of fun. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at ELJohnsonII. E.L. Johnson I.I. Yeah. And where you can find all your your opinions. I mean, honestly. in 140 it, characters. When I used to live watch things when I had cable. Yeah. That was when I would be uh, more that's active, when you were most on, active. The, on the Twitter mm-hmm. on the Twitter sphere. Uh, you can find me around award season in general okay. on the Twitter sphere, though. So, like, uh, you just missed me at Oscar time. But, right. Um, we'll be coming around the mountain. Tony's are in June. Yeah. And you know I'll have opinions. <laughs> The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. This episode was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, and Imani Mular. If you like the original cast, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the easiest way to make sure other people find the show. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. My thanks to Elliot Johnson for coming down and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Rehearsal.